because my message today is still based on our vision, our mission for our church, and that is acceptance. And I think sometimes it's easy for us to accept a certain type of people, people that look like us, act like us, sound like us, have our same core values, beliefs, same socioeconomic, same race, same religion. We can accept that. It's when we start to have people that don't look like us, act like us, believe like us, sound like us, that we start having us versus them mentality. And so we start to build walls instead of bridges, things that don't bring people in, that aren't where we can build this relationship. And yet Jesus, over and over and over throughout scriptures, tells us we should. Jesus was accused of being a false prophet because he sits, who does he sit with? He sits with the sinners. Who are you that you have dinner with the prostitutes and the tax collectors? And he's like, yep, bring them on. That's who I want to hang out with. Those that the rest of society looks down on and doesn't like and looks at as outcasts, those are the ones I want to be in relationship with. If we desire as a church to create a safe place where people can discover God, in an environment of love, acceptance, and forgiveness, we must be a people who are accepting. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about that today because sometimes people get the wrong idea when I say accepting. But the, the key thing for me is if I want people to discover who God is, I have to have people that don't think and understand the same way I do. If everybody in our church believes exactly like me, we're not discovering anything new of who God is. Because I already know who God is, and I know who he is in my life, and I can impart some things to you, but if you already agree with me 100%, and everybody in here probably does, or at least should, in my mind, but if that's the reality, are we really discovering who God is, or are you discovering who I know God to be? Now, it is my job to lead you, and to push you, and to press you, and to inspire you, my struggle is when people say, I'm not being fed, because it's not my job to feed you. It's my job to take you to where the food is and say, here it is, you guys. Devour it. Get together in a group and devour it. Talk about it. Learn from it. But no, you're not supposed to be clones of Jeff. You're supposed to be disciples of Jesus. So Hebrews 13, 1-4 tells us this. It says, let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some of unwittingly entertained angels. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. When we accept people, it will free them from their brokenness. Because we, our acceptance of them, allows them to come into a place where they can find healing and wholeness. If we believe in the church... And most of us who regularly come here believe in it. If we believe in the institution and the idea and the concept of gathering together for the sake of encouraging, challenging, lifting up, inspiring, and learning, if we agree with those things, then I have got to accept people who don't look and act and believe like I do. Because acceptance is what's going to bring them into this place or when they're here, they're going to feel safe in this place, even if they don't agree with me or you 100%. But that acceptance is going to break them from the bonds that are holding them back from knowing who God is. 
And so it just, it's this thing. It's if, you, if A equals B, then B equals C, and C equals, we have to keep adding to this chain. Because if the moment we don't, the moment we go, no, if you don't look like me, talk like me, act like me, dress like me, whatever, then you're not really going to be part of our church. I've often said, for a long time I've said, it's more important for people to belong than to be like. In other words, I want people to come in even if they're not like me. They can look different and act different, talk different. Now, can they be a disruption? No. Because that then makes other people feel unsafe. But they can be here and be a part of what we're doing and learn and grow and accept or reject what they want to in their steps forward towards understanding who God is. We've got to stop acting like we have it all together and we have all the answers. I'm not the Bible answer man. I don't know if you guys know what that is. That's an old radio program that we used to listen to on Sunday nights. A lot of times we would listen to it as a family. It came on where we lived, came on at 10 o'clock at night. And it would be kind of our last thing we'd do on a Sunday night. Because we had Sunday morning service, Sunday evening service. We had services all the time. We had Wednesday night service. Sometimes there were other services. We had two Sunday morning services. I had to go to both. We ended our Sunday with Bible Answer Man. And I wrote in several times, trying, not because I had these deep theological questions. I just wanted Jeff from Wisconsin to get called on the air one time. My parents would help me write these letters and send them in. Well, Jeff, that's a really good question. And my dad would go, I can answer that for you. No, don't. I need to hear the Bible answer man's answer. By the way, never once did my letter get read on the air. I was probably too theologically deep. He couldn't go that deep. I'm not the Bible answer man. It's not my job to just win a Bible trivia. It's my job to try to challenge you in your set ways to understand that God is bigger than our simple mindset. By the same token, he's bigger than my simple mindset. So if I'm going to accept people just letting brotherly love continue, as it says in Hebrews, then that means I'm going to have to accept people that are broken. Prisoners have an 85% reoccurrence reoccurrence rate in the United States. The biggest reason is because they cannot find jobs, they cannot find places to live, they struggle to get back on their feet, society doesn't accept them because of fear, bias, anger, judgment, trust issues. There's a complex series of issues. But if they can't get back on their feet, what are they most likely to do? Go back to the one life they knew because they don't have another choice. I've heard that nearly one-third of all Christians in America no longer attend church today. It's the same thing. Something happened that severed the relationship and they can't go back. Trust issues, fear, bias. The very same thing where it says we're supposed to break free these prisoners to let them have acceptance. By the same token, Christians, sometimes it's their own pride but sometimes they've been genuinely hurt by the church. The church has done terrible things in the name of God that were ungodly. And when I say the church, I'm not referring to us specifically. I'm referring to the church globally. And yet at the same time, sometimes when somebody else does something, it tarnishes your name. Your brother gets arrested, and you got the same last name, and you're in a small town, believe me, you're marked. My niece got married this past year. Her 
boyfriend, then fiance, then husband, had had a series of issues with the law since the time he was about 14. And a lot of it came from no parental supervision. He's out on the street by the, when he's 14, doing things on his own. And it kept happening over and over and over. And he'd get pulled over, and then he doesn't have a license because it's suspended. And then they had to, and so then he comes into contact with my niece, and then into contact with their family. And they're like, we're going to help you get through this. They help him find a job. He begins to pay off fines. My brother-in-law goes in and pays off the fine and then charges him every month. You make this payment. The moment you don't, you're right back in, out on your own again. So he makes the monthly payments. Finally gets everything paid off, over $2,000 in fines. Then he gets a license. First time he's ever had a license in his life. He's 21 years old. He finally has a driver's license. He'd been driving since he was 15 and getting arrested since about that time. So we changed the pattern and we changed that. Now he has a job. He's working for a roofing company. He's making $24 an hour in small town Wisconsin. That's not bad money. He's starting to do some other things. The most interesting thing is my brother-in-law said once he began to work off and pay off this debt, once he saw that there was a hope that this wasn't going to be his whole life, he's not gotten in trouble since. He was getting in trouble because there was no hope anyway. What's it matter? I'm never going to dig out of this hole. I'm at the bottom of this pit to a kid that's 16, 17 years old, $2,200, might as well be a million. I'm never going to make it. I have no job and I have no hopes or prospects for a job because I've got a minor prison record. But suddenly somebody comes along and helps him move forward and now it's been almost two years since he's had any legal trouble. It's been two years since he's had any issues or incidents. It was all basically, most of them were when he was a minor and most of them were minor offenses, but it was just this snowball effect. Here's the thing that acceptance does for people. Acceptance gives them hope where they saw no hope before. Acceptance isn't what got him out of trouble. Because other people had tried to accept him. But acceptance gave him a hope where there was no hope before. So he's able to move forward. He's able to move on. He's able to put that behind him because somebody took him, accepted him, and said, we're going to move you. We're going to do this together. They didn't just give him a gift. They taught him how to deal and live in the society because they accepted him for who he was. People in the church today don't realize that right outside their doors, they say there's a third of all people that are Christians that are no longer going to church. They actually say in the Pacific Northwest, Washington, Oregon, this part of the nation, they put it at about 42%. 42% of people, this isn't the people that don't claim to be Christians. This is the people who go, yeah, I'm a born-again believer, or I have acknowledged Jesus. 42% don't go to church. Because the church has either taken a wrong stance, and sometimes, like I said, sometimes it's real, sometimes it's their own personal offense. They can't let go. You're right, the church has done horrible things, but you didn't and I didn't, so why can't we move forward together? I'm not saying we ignore it, but I'm saying it's really easy to just let the offense of something else mount up. You don't even have to raise your hand. But how many of you in here know of people that don't go to church because they got offended over something that the church did? Wow, the people that are raising, almost a third of you raised your hands. And I said you didn't even have to. Wow, that's response. I know people that won't go to church 
because of something that happened. I know people that won't go to church because of things that happened 25 years ago. I'm like, let it go. 25 years ago? Think how many Super Bowls we've had since then. There's been 25 of them. Think how many, I mean, are you going to tell me that the church, you never got offended at work? I notice they don't quit their job and just stay home because they got offended. They may change jobs, but they didn't just quit and stay home. Now, I know that there have been some bad things that have happened. But it's our job to help them move beyond that as well. It's our job to show them a positive view of who God is. Luke 10, 25 through 37, it's the story of the prodigal son. I want to read it to you. And it says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, I'm sorry, I said prodigal son, I meant good Samaritan. He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, remember that's what Jesus said to him last week when we talked, you have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. But he wanting to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? This is where it always gets us. Because we don't want to deal with who is our neighbor. Then Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road and when he saw him he passed by on the other side. Likewise a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was and when he saw him he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wound, pouring on oil and wine and he set him on his own animal and brought him to the inn and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. Of which of these three do you think to him, who, of which of these three do you think was the neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? Most of you have probably heard that story before. It's a common, well-shared parable. You might have even heard some of the background. Here's some of the things the text tells us. First off, shows they wanted to trap Jesus. They, wanted, they were always trying to stump him. They were always trying to get him to give the wrong answer so that they could accuse him. Seems pretty smart about this stuff, actually. Jesus was good. He was good at this kind of stuff. But it doesn't tell us where it, like what his nationality is, but it tells us where he came from. So it starts with telling us where he came from, which tells us he's Jewish. That's where he, his nationality, and that's where he came from. So then a priest comes by, and he crosses the road. Why? Because if a priest touches somebody who's wounded or injured, if he touches anything with blood, then he's unclean, and he has to go clean himself ritually before he can go and do his other priestly duties. So he's more concerned with the legalistic side than with the humanity side. Again, you don't have to raise your hand. Have you ever known people in church that were more concerned with the rules than with lost souls? Have you ever known anybody like that? 
Then comes a Levite. Levites, most of the Levites, they were the tribe that was the medical profession. They were doctors, typically. Doesn't say that this man was, doesn't give an age, doesn't give his occupation. But the medical profession was run by the Levites. Different tribes had different things that they did to support the tribe. That's how it worked. That's how the tribal system worked for them. So the Levites, Luke himself being a Levite, would have understood this. Luke is the one who wrote down this story for us. So he's a doctor. We have no idea where he's going, what he's doing, what he has happening. But he crosses the road and avoids the man. The third guy, a Samaritan. Samaritans were considered an unclean people. Not only were they not Jewish, they were considered unclean because the, the most common profession would have been farming and livestock, and oftentimes they maintained pigs, um, sometimes sheep and goats, but they maintained animals, so they're thus making them an unclean people. He doesn't just see what's happening. He actually helps the man. He takes care of them, bandages them, treats the wounds, pays for them, leaves extra funds, and says, if there's any more, I'll pay it back when I come back by. The text tells us this. It leaves us with a question. So who is the neighbor? Now, who's the good one? Who's the one that actually changed someone's life? Is the person who takes action. If you want to be accepting, if, you want to, if we want to become a church that's accepting of people, it takes action on our part. I joked earlier about introverts, go ahead and sit. Extroverts, get out there. This is the time you've been waiting for all week. It's, it's true. But how many times are there people sitting amongst us that desperately need somebody to care about them? And we miss the opportunity. These are the people that we're with every day. And it's true, we don't see them bloody and injured on a road. But there's people that are wounded sitting on our left and our right, sitting all around us, that need someone to remind them that they're loved and they're valued. Not just that God is good. He is all the time. But they need somebody that's going to tell them that they matter. Here's some things the text doesn't say. It doesn't tell us what happens next to the Samaritan or to the Jewish man. It doesn't tell us how to proceed from there. Is the Jewish man thankful? He never says thank you. They're from different worlds. Chances are they don't remain friends. It's not like they probably hung out again after that. Too often times we're looking for the long-term results before we're willing to take action. Well, I'll do it, but only if I'm going to get this in return. I've heard people say, oh, I don't really want to help with Transform Burian because I don't know if they're really going to see any long-term effects. I don't either. I really don't. It's been going 10 years now. I don't know what their long-term effects are. But what I know is it's not my job to get results. It's my job to respond to what Jesus is telling me to do. Somebody's hungry, it's my job to feed them. Now, do I want there to be long-term 
results? Absolutely. Would I love to see us have all these great testimonies of people who went through Transform Burien and got off drugs and got sober and cleaned up their life, got an education, bought a house, and now they're a small business owner. Yes, I'd love that. But too often times, that's not my responsibility. Mine is, will you give food and will you do it in my name? Will you love somebody and do it in a way that has no strings attached? See, the what happens next is where a lot of us as Christians struggle. You know, if you give him that, he's just going to repeat the process. Yeah, and that's between him and God. I don't give a dollar to every person who asks me, but sometimes I do. I always think, between them and God, what they do with that has nothing to do with me. Do I do everything for everyone? Nope. But I do what I can, especially when the Holy Spirit says, do something. So how do we respond if somebody's unthankful for what we've done? How do we respond if we've gone out of our way to serve someone? Samaritan keeps his own identity, as does the Jewish man, which means it's really hard for them to connect because they're in a caste society and a Samaritan is well below somebody that was Jewish in that place and in that time. So we've got to go back to knowing that just because we accept somebody doesn't mean they'll ever return that. So, here's a few things I want to conclude with. I've got one more passage of Scripture to read you also. But in order to accept people, we're not asked to compromise our core values and beliefs. But we are asked to live those core values out in such a way that other people can still approach the cross. I don't compromise what I believe in order to accept other people but I don't put what I believe in front of them and say, if you want to be accepted by me, you have to sign this code of conduct. You have to agree to this. You have to do this if you want to be accepted by me. I accept people as they are, where they are, and I'll let the Holy Spirit work in them and through them. And I will pray for people that the Holy Spirit will move in them and through them to change parts of their life, but I will accept them whether they ever do. Now see, some people are saying, doesn't that allow somebody that wants to do you harm to come into your life. And I'm going to talk about that more next week on the forgiveness level. I'm not saying you allow people to hurt you or abuse you. You should not live in a relationship like that. And if that's the relationship you're in, if that's where you're at in life, come and talk to me and I will help. We will navigate a path to help get you out of that relationship. Acceptance does not mean I accept their wrong behavior towards me or towards someone else. Acceptance means I accept people as they are as a person. So I'm not compromising my core values, but I'm also not putting that, my core values and beliefs, ahead of somebody else. And the question is, what does it look like if I accept people that are not like me? Not just my words and but my actual actions. What is that going to look like in my life? Am I willing to get out and spend time with people who don't look, act, 
their different background, different place, different world, different socioeconomic? Am I willing to do that? One of my best friends in the world is the pastor down in Mexico. We don't look much alike. He's a little darker skinned, a little bit shorter. I make fun of him about his height. He doesn't speak English. I was going to say he doesn't speak the language, but he does. He speaks Spanish very well. He doesn't speak English. I don't speak Spanish. We're not in the same socioeconomic background. He makes $75 a month. I make slightly more than that. We're not in the same place and we're not in the same world. But our relationship runs deep in spite of our differences, not because of them, but in spite of them. And we connect on a level that says, I'm going to love you no matter what. And I have done so many things when we've been down there. We have broken walls, we have broken sinks, we have broken windows. And every time it's like, it's okay. No problem. I've had people get mad at things we did and cause him problems and cause him troubles. I'm like, I'm so sorry. He's like, it's their problem. You keep coming. Because he accepts me and he loves me. Not because I look like him. Not because I act like him. Because I'm a brother in Christ. His idea of accepting is we accept all people unconditionally, no matter who they are. And we love all people that walk in the door. It's not just words, but it's actions. Learning to accept people is what we're called to do. But it's not a natural response. It's something we have to train ourselves to do. Because it requires something of us. It's not easy. But that's why it's called growth. But growing is painful. Growth can be painful. Literally, they have a term called growing pains. It's a physical thing. When your body's growing, it can be physically painful. When you're spiritually growing, it can be difficult and painful. And things will try you and test you. But it doesn't mean I'm not in the right place or it's not the right thing. It means I have to grow, and that can be difficult. The problem is, you're either growing or you're dying. There's no other direction. You're either growing or you're dying. And I'm pushing and striving and trying to help you guys grow into who God created you to be. Not because, oh, it's going to benefit me oh so much, but because it's going to benefit you and your life and ultimately the kingdom of God. Because as you become more like Jesus, people are going to want to be around you, whether you realize it or not, and as they want to be around you, they're going to want to understand who you are. And I always say, I'm not as good a pastor as I can be. I know that because God's still teaching me and helping me learn and grow. And I'm becoming better. And who I was six years ago is not nearly as good as who I am now. But the really good news is who I am six years from now is not going to be the same person I am today. Because he's going to continue to help me become more like him if I'm willing to be taught if I'm willing to learn, if I'm willing to grow, if I'm willing to push myself, if I'm willing to accept people that aren't like me, that can bring things into my life to help me discover more of who God is, 
I'm going to be a better man and a better pastor and a better husband and a better father. And other people, they may have to pay the price in the meantime because I'm not that good, but I'm getting there. And you know what? i got a secret for you. You're still a sinner, but God is still using you. And he wants to keep taking you and keep using you and keep pushing you forward to become who he created you to be. Not so that, oh, wow, you're rich now, you're blessed, you're this, but so that the kingdom of God can grow and expand. Because when we build relationships with other people, when people walk in here and we accept them as they are where they are, and we allow the Holy Spirit to do whatever he's going to do through them, then suddenly they find a place where they can belong, they have purpose, they can connect, and they become more like Jesus. Might not be at the rate we want them to. Believe me, some of you are growing slower than I wish you were. But isn't it beautiful that we're all growing? And it's different rates and different speeds, and we're learning different things, and we're discovering more, but we're growing in Christ. And as we do, we're going to see our church grow and expand because when we accept people, people are going to want to be here. Romans 12, 9 through 18 says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another, not lacking in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Verse 15, reading on. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. The hardest part of that in that entire text is the all part. Because I can do that with some people. People that I really love, I can look beyond their shortcomings. People that I'm in relationship with, okay, I can deal with the fact that, you know, they're lacking in this. But the all, is that that's hard. Because there's people that are really hard to love. There's people that are hard to show kindness to. There are people that are really difficult to be in relationship with. And yet if I'm going to accept people because God has called me to, then i got to love people that I don't even like. If at all possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. In other words, sometimes it's up to them and you can't do anything about it. Right? But there's no, ah, oh, but you don't have to try. we got to keep trying and keep striving. Next week, we're talking about forgiveness. And what does it look like to have a life that's marked by forgiveness? Not just our forgiveness for our sins, but forgiveness of others who have offended us, both those who have asked for forgiveness, and even harder yet, those who don't even recognize that they sinned against you, and yet we're called to forgive. That's really hard. I really don't like it. There's people that have done things that have hurt me deeply and I have to forgive them even if they don't ask? Yep. But I'll talk more about that next week. So come on back. Father God, I thank you for this day and I thank you for your love and your grace. 
I thank you that you modeled acceptance for us. You called us to be a good neighbor. And God, I just pray that we would be a church that accepts people. And we do so much that they are compelled to come in. I thank you, God, for your acceptance of us while we were still sinners. Not after we cleaned ourselves up, but while we're in the midst of being sinners, you sent your son who died for us. May we be a people who accept so well that it impacts our community deeply. Thank you for that, Father God. In your name, amen. Um, one thing I, we haven't really announced, but we've, it's on the calendar. November 17th is um, a Sunday. That Sunday is our annual congregational meeting. I'll talk about it a little bit each week. We invite everybody who says, this is my church, to come out that day. The meeting takes usually 45 minutes, and then we'll have a time for question and answers. We will give you the church financials. I will do a little bit of telling you what I hope to see us accomplish in the next year, some of which we will, some of which we won't. But anybody who says, this is my church, is invited to attend that meeting. That way, nobody says, why are these secret things going on in church? There's not. We do it once a year at our annual meeting. Come on out. Ask your questions. Look at our finances. We're going to give you a single sheet of paper that shows where every dollar went, and then if you need to know more about, like, why did you spend so much on stamps, you can ask those questions afterwards. But we'll give you a single sheet that lists all the major categories, and we'll have one copy of where every single penny that we spent this year was spent. And it's like that thick. So believe me, unless you really have a question, you don't want to go through it, we have our, our business, we have a person who is our bookkeeper, we also have an accountant, they put all that together. I'm just here to smile and go, well, tell them. You'll have a chance to um, find out who is on our church council, which church council acts as a financial board. You'll find out who our new members are, and you'll find out who the other existing members are. So that's uh, what we also do there. Some people say, why don't we make that known all the time? Why do you need that? We'll introduce them that day. If you ask me, I guess I'll tell you it's not a secret. We have a meeting every month. But if you've wondered about how do we operate, that's your chance to come on out and find out all the nitty-gritty details. But I invite you guys to come out and be a part of that. Again, that's November 17th. There's not a Seahawks game that day. It's in the afternoon. Thank you. These things don't happen by accident. It's in the afternoon. Uh, Basically, we'll end our service 20 minutes later after everyone's had their coffee and a cookie so that their blood sugar's not dropping. We'll get together, we'll have a meeting, and we'll be done. So put it on your calendar so you don't forget. Mark it somewhere so that you go, oh yeah, i got to stay extra late so that you don't plan a lunch right after. We'd love to have you stay. I'd love to answer the questions you might have. You guys, I love you, and it is an honor being your pastor. Have a great week. We'll see you at Trunker, uh, next Sunday or at Trunk or Treat, or both. <laughs>